Good morning, Olive Branch. Good to see you all this morning. Welcome. For those of you who don't know, we're in the middle of our spiritual growth campaign entitled Wannabe, which is what you saw from the video. In this series, we've been discussing the gap between who we want to be like and who we really are, and that can be really difficult. Uh, some of you might be wondering, I'm not Greg. I look a little different than he is, a little darker, a little browner. Uh, my name is Stephen Oldham. I work here at Olive Branch. I'm your local outreach coordinator. I work day. Thanks. <laughs> some of you do know. Thank you. Uh, and I work with Kevin, and so we work in the local outreach, and so it's, a, it's wonderful to get to pivot and switch and kind of be up here and get to preach to you this morning and in the middle of a series. So we've been going through this series, and we've been talking about love and joy, and you had it in your series, and it's sometimes in these spiritual growth campaigns, like, oh, it's spiritual growth campaign season. Some of you are like, oh, i got to go through and figure out whether I'm spiritually growing. How do I do that? And you feel like if I just go through that, these motions, and somehow that, that means spiritual growth. And we all know that that isn't true, that if we somehow leave Christ out of the picture and we just kind of go through these modes, we kind of get kind of just kind of stuck in these ruts where we just like check off, okay, I've got joy this week and I've got love and I've got peace and I've got patience. And uh, part of me gets frustrated with any kind of checklist in general, and the staff knows this about me. For those of you who don't know, my background is in psychology. Um, I really uh, got into psychology because I actually liked uh, personality tests, taking tests and, and inventory. I thought, oh, this is how people are. And I started like evaluating people and giving them personality tests and all these Myers-Briggs and all this stuff. And then I got into college, and after six years, I realized none of that has any scientific validity. And that isn't how people are, that they're actually way more complicated than that. And when it comes to predicting their behavior and, and even changing their behavior, that people are actually harder to pin on certain things than we think that a simple test will actually be able to assess. Now, those things could be good for using them to think through who you are and who you are and interact. But really, actually, human beings are very complex. They can change in a moment's notice. They can go through these different things, and it can become kind of difficult to kind of pin them down. So that's why I really do appreciate the Bible, because it is very sophisticated when it comes to the human condition. And so that's why I want to key in on our key verse that we've kind of covered a few times here, and that's in Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 18. So if you're there and you have the, the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, if you want to look at that, but we're in Galatians and we're kind of using this as one of our key verses. So I say, so it says here in 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so what does that mean? Well, he's kind of setting up the scenario. So we look at these fruits of the Spirit as things that we want to do. I want to be more joyful. I want to be more kind. I want to be more loving. And we think if I just do a certain amount of things, I have like a self-help book, I can get ahead. And that's really what we want to avoid when it comes to this passage, because this passage is really saying something different. It's saying that if you want to grow in the Spirit, you have to be connected to the Spirit. If you want to grow in these fruits, you have to walk in the Spirit. And so what does that mean to walk in the Spirit? Does it mean I just like follow the Spirit, I'm walking, you're walking around in the Spirit, I'm closing my eyes? Is that what it means to walk in the Spirit? And so we'll look a little bit about what does that mean. And so the other one is, is this sets up a scenario about what's going on internally in our lives. So if we are not connected to the Spirit, we tend to fall into things. So this passage answers the question that says, how do we follow the lead of the one we want to be like without getting into the law, which it mentions, or the flesh. 
And really, it's funny, when we walk away from the Spirit, we're tempted by one of these two camps. One camp says, you know what, there's dangers in the world, there's sin, there's the devil, there's the flesh. We need to start making rules, we need to start protecting people and be safe and start closing everything up, kind of become a church and put up walls and make sure that we are in God's will because we don't want to get out of God's will. And that's acting in the law. Well, the other camp's like, you know, Jesus is a cool dude, he loves everybody, no one's perfect, man, and we don't have to be this perfect, God's going to love me no matter what I do, I can just do whatever I want. And that's what happens when you find out you're disconnected from the Spirit. No matter what, you'll fall into one camp or the other. So the Bible's very clear that you need to, as Christians, walk in the Spirit. And it even goes even farther, like in John chapter 15, verse 3 and 5, this is Jesus talking. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. We're already Christians. God's washed, us, washed our hearts clean, and he's in us. So he says, but I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, it is he that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. And so he raises the ante. He doesn't just say, when you want to produce these fruits, you walk in the Spirit. He says, apart from me, you can't produce much at all. You're going to fall into one of these two camps if you don't stay with me. You don't connect to the vine. And so that's why we're going through each of these fruits of the Spirit, each of the fruit of the Spirit, to kind of see not what, how to be a better person or how to have more joy in that sense all by itself by doing a bunch of things. It's really about finding out where are we connected to God or disconnected to God? Where are we disconnected from the Spirit? Where have we left Him behind? And so today we, we've talked about, in this series, we talked about love, we talked about joy, we talked about faithfulness, we talked about goodness and kindness. Today we're just going to focus on two patience and gentleness. And so what is patience? And what is the biblical definition of patience? Well, the word actually means long-tempered. It means you take a long time to get angry, which is kind of the literal translation. But I like to think of it more, a little differently. I like to think of it as kind of like a pepper. One of the ways the Bible talks about things isn't just to define everything. It kind of tells you the opposite of things, this and then that. It says, if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that. Flesh, Okay, here's, here's the law. But really, so when we start to look at what patience is, it's really kind of to look at what are some of the enemies of patience. And to me, patience is a bit like what you do when you eat a jalapeno or you eat a, a pepper. So um, for those of you who know, who knows what the Schofield pepper scale is? Some of you know what the Schofield pepper scale is. It's a scale that's a measure, it's an accurate measure scientifically of how hot an actual pepper is on a scale to see how hot it is. And like a jalapeno is about a 10, uh, 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 one of the 10 hottest peppers, I think. But it's like anywhere between 2,500 and 10,000. So some of them are really hot and some of them are really mild. And so kind of like the enemies of patience are kind of like these peppers, kind of like a Schofield pepper. So anyone dare me to eat this pepper? Maybe, all right, we got some daring people. Okay. I like peppers. It tastes really good. I have water here just in case of emergency. That's not too bad a one. It's got a little heat. It's good. I like it. What happens when you start eating a pepper and it's hot? Your hands, sometimes people's hands get clammy. You get that burning feeling in the back of your throat a little bit. Your blood, if it's a really hot on the school field scale, your, your eyes will start to water. The heat rises. In fact, I was watching this program that talked about the science of peppers and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I watched boring program. But it was interesting to me. And what they were saying is that your tongue actually responds to that as if it's on fire. That's why we relate the heat to actual heat, because it does certain chemical things that are similar. And you get used to that heat, 
and you actually like it, and it becomes kind of pleasurable to you at some point. I know it's crazy, but I love hot food. And so that's kind of what it's like. And so to me, the enemies of patience are kind of like the life throwing you hot peppers. And if you're not connected to the Spirit, you have no tolerance level. You walk away from God, and you're going to start feeling the heat. You're going to start seeing your Schofield temperature rise, and that's going to start feeling that heat, and you're going to walk away. So I like to watch these competitions where they just keep getting pepper after pepper after pepper after pepper to see up the Schofield scale how much they tolerance they have to actually sustain that heat. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at today, how we're going to look at patience and how the scale kind of rises each time as you go up that scale. So let's look at the first one kind of and just kind of ask ourselves, what are the peppers that life throws at us that we have to kind of digest to get our heat levels up? And for me, it's one of those things is technology, right? We, um, we live in a world where people used to take a long time to have to look things up in an encyclopedia. Some guy had an encyclopedia set he would sell you, and that's how you had to sit down and read this thing. You had to carry it around if you were trying to do a book study or whatever. Now we have these things on our fingertips, and it's just really fast, right? And if it doesn't work, I want to throw it out of a window or something. We live in a world where we have all these wonderful freeways, and we get around, and, and yet we're still frustrated because things take too long or take too much time. Now, just ask yourself, do, do you think that we live in a patient city? Everybody's just driving along, going the speed. Everybody's putting their blinker on for people to see. People do that, right? They have blinkers still on cars, right? So that's the first kind of stress is it's just being in society is we notice that people are kind of agitated. They're kind of moving around. They're trying to get to places. And we can get really irritated, and, and you kind of get kind of hostile, and you get in, i got to go here, i got to get this done, i got to go all these things. And we're trying to live in this kind of, kind of hasty environment. And look, I am and just as tempted to kind of have my heat scale go up sometimes when this stuff happens as well, especially when it comes to technology or even in society. Because like, for me, I have this thing called an Echo Dot. How many people know what an Echo Dot is? It has Alexa on it. You've probably heard of Alexa. It's like a speaker that's connected to the Internet, and you can ask it questions. It's great. I have one at my house, and I wake up in the morning, it has this Bible feature. And I can actually say, Alexa, open the Bible app and read my plan. And it'll read through the Bible throughout the, throughout the course. So I could do a 10-day plan or whatever. It's great. The other thing it does is sometimes it used to do this, but I, I used to be able to just say, uh, hey, Alexa, read me scripture verses on a topic. I say, hey, Alexa, I'm preaching on patience. Uh, Alexa, uh, read me scripture verses on patience. But for some reason this morning, Alexa decided to say, Searching for Kendall Fire. Okay, no, stop. Alexa, I want you to read verses on patience. Looking for books on Audible for patience. No, Alexa, stop. Alexa, I want words on patience. And I thought maybe this was a new app feature that was trying to be practical patience for the Bible app or something. Because I was ready to throw this thing out the window. Before, I would actually have to open a computer and then look on there and then find out an index and topics or go to a physical book in the back of my Bible, look up patience, and then look through my verse. This thing is doing it instantaneously, and I want to throw it out the window because it's taking five seconds longer than I want it to. I'm buying into the hastiness of our society. I'm buying into hastiness. And sometimes we get hasty with products, we get hasty with things, but sometimes our hastiness transfers over to people. And so the Bible has a name for this kind of hastiness, it calls it hasty, a hasty temper or a hasty folly. And so in Proverbs, it talks a little bit about this. It says, Proverbs 14, 29, says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Now, I love the book of Proverbs. I like to hear it. 
but sometimes I have this Shakespearean guy in my head. I don't know if it's because I grew up in a school they'd only let you do the King James Version and everybody sounded like they were British actors. But in my head, I hear something like this when I read this verse. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. But he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And I go, oh, that's cool. I don't know what that means, but it's cool. Sounds cool, I guess. So I was looking through some of the, the things and trying to figure out what does that verse mean, and I found some interesting kind of paraphrases, and one of them is a patient person brings understanding to a situation. They, they bring an understanding, they lower the volume, and now we're focused on bringing some kind of understanding, some enlightenment to a situation. But then it said, the hasty people show off their stupidity to everybody. Isn't that funny? Because it's really true. Like when you're in line, and there are three people in line, and this person in the fourth part of the row is just irritated with the entire situation. And all of a sudden, the dramatics start. <sighs> oh, can you believe this? Look, there's three people here. Why aren't they seeing that I'm frustrated right now? And the one thing that everybody sees about that person when they're agitated and moving around is that that person is concerned about their time and nobody else's. It's, it's clear to everyone but that person what's going on and how irritated they are. They're controlling the environment at that point. And that's kind of what it's like, is when we get in these situations and we're going, 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 and we're going through these situations, we sometimes get frustrated. Why? Because we have a desire and a time limit, and those are usually the two things, desire and a time limit, and I run into something and it's in my way and it's frustrating me, and now I'm angry. And it's at that time that the Schofield level rises in people, and they start seeing their anger kind of build. And at that point, as a Christian, we sometimes have to ask ourselves, whose time are we spending? I could see how if you weren't a Christian, you just go, well, this is my time, I'm trying to get through life. But really, time is given to us by God. God has given us his son. The question is, at any moment, at any time, am I asking, what, is this my time, God, or your time? I know I need to get home in five minutes sooner than I really normally do, but is there something here right now in my attitude that I can demonstrate where you can come through? Are you the king of my life or am I the king of my life? Are you, are you the king of this moment or am I the king of this moment? And what that does is it lowers your Schofield level. It brings a different outcome to the situation. Now it's not about wasting your time and everyone's wasting my time. It's this is God's time and if I'm stuck here, why not make things a little bit better? Why not ask God, is there something here I can do? Can I smile at somebody? Can I bring some kindness to the person in front of me? Can I make this experience better for someone else? And then that's really the thing is, it's not about doing all these rules. If I have a list to go, okay, now when I get into the store, I'm going to be smiling at people. Okay, check, smile. But it's really about really figuring out that you don't go anywhere without God. That when you're in a store, Christ is with you. And it's really easy as we go through our daily lives to try to not make it a relationship, but to make it a rule. And so that's what I'm saying. The first thing to ask yourself is, whose time am I spending when I'm in that situation? Ask God. Be more specific. Ask the Spirit. Spirit, is there anything why, before I get frustrated bidding in this huge line over at Superior or whatever, uh, is there anything I can do to, to serve you while I'm here? I'm stuck here anyway. Can I bring this situation better just by noticing the people around me? So we're going to go up on the Schofield scale. What else besides just being hasty do people deal with? And oftentimes it has to do with just getting in angry with people and retaliating and getting into fights. I often wonder why people get into fights, and it's interesting what the Scripture says. In James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions 
are, are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see how easy it is to fall into the flesh and ask about our passions. Here's passions again. Why do people get angry online? Why do people fight? And then I have to yell. I go into work. This person's mad. So now I'm going to get mad at them. And now they're mad at me. And now we're louder. And then I'm getting louder. And like your candidate is stupid. And you're stupid. And your position is stupid. And you're stupid. And nobody's listening to anybody. But what's getting higher and higher and higher is just the anger level in the room. And it's at that point we have to ask ourselves, even when we're trying to do a good thing, even when we're trying to convince someone else online of the good thing that we've taught, or the way we think society should be, or how we should govern each other when we're talking, these are all true principles, these are all truth. But in that moment, am I trying to conquer that person and make them submit to my opinion because I want the world to be a certain way? Or am I trying to persuade them with some kind of truth to talk about where God is in that equation? Where is God in that equation? Am I persuading people to a position or am I destroying them because I want to win, because this becomes a competition? I have a passion to have the world be in the way I want it to be right now on this earth. And the thing is, is oftentimes we're not going to get the world in the way that we want. We're not going to get things the way we want, but we still got to maintain a decorum and and kind of a position that actually allows other people to see Christ. And so when we raise the volume and match other people's anger, when we raise the volume and match other people's quarreling, we're not bringing anything enlightening to that situation. We're not interested in restoring anybody to Christ. And we sometimes forget God, even in a conversation about God, trying to convince someone about God. Well, you stupid atheist, you don't know anything about God. Where's God in that conversation? like, wait, I'm not in that conversation. Don't, Don't put my name in there. And it's real easy to do. It's real easy to do to get caught up in your flesh. It takes a second. And that's why I think it says walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What is walking in the Spirit? It's simply just remembering that you are with God everywhere you are and to converse with Him. Exchange ideas. In a split second, you, you respond negatively. You go, wait, i got to catch myself. God, help me in this situation. Let, let's start this over. And catch ourselves in that. Let God be a part of your daily life. Sometimes I think I leave God at home after I, t- I listen to Alexa, and then I come in and it sets off my whole day, and if somehow I forgot God on my drive to the car. The people are cutting me off, and now I'm in this world, and God's left at home. And so it's really easy for us to do that. Now, as I've raised the Schofield level at each of these things, now you're like, oh, man, i got to watch everything I do now. i got to go to a store. i got to do all these things. And so I raise that level, and you start feeling that stress. And I, I, I really do think that that stress is something that people do encounter. And a lot of times, one of the biggest enemies, and this is the third enemy kind of a patience, and it's just giving up. You know, like, I can't convince anyone. I, every time I try to do something right, I'm never going to be like a Billy Graham or someone else. I'm not that good of a Christian. I, I just can't do this, man. I, just, I was raised different. I, I'm too old. I'm too hard. It's too difficult for me. I just I can't do this anymore. I keep trying to be a good person, but I'm not. And that happens to people because the thing is, is in that conversation, you've forgotten someone. You've turned it into the law. You run into the law. Guess what? None of us are good enough. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why Christ came down because he knew we weren't good enough. He got into a relationship with us. And so that's kind of hard to see because we hear it a lot. Oh, Jesus came down to earth and he died and he got in a relationship with us. But how does that change behavior? How does that change lives? And the only thing I can really think of is a story. For those of you who know, about a year and a half ago, I, I started trying to lose weight, right? I'm down about 130 pounds. 
Praise God. Pray that I keep it off. They say it takes three years to make a habit. I'm a year and a half in, so just keep praying that I continue to make that a part of my life. But a lot of people come up to me and they say, how did you make that change in your life? How did you change that part of your life? And I have to stop, and sometimes they're disappointed. Yes, there is a diet. Yes, there are these things that you have to do to change your lifestyle, to change your life. But what it really started with was a friend of mine who was worried about me, who cared about me. He's a military buddy of mine, and he, we, were in, we served in the military together, and he says, look, man, you're just giving up. And so I, I just want you to stay with me for a month. And so I stayed on an Air Force base for a month, and he taught me how to cook. We'd wake up early in the morning, he would talk me through, we'd go for walks together, we'd hang out, he would teach me about food, he would teach me about cooking, we'd go to the supermarket together, he'd tell me different things, and really, it was his relationship with me for a month that promoted me to want to take care of myself and start acting on my own. It took his act of kindness, his interaction with me that made it so much easier than just a chore, because it's attached to a person who cared about you. Now when he's calling me and saying like, hey, are you doing on the diet? I love him now. He loves me. We're friends. We're Christian brothers. Now, I don't want to disappoint him, and he wants to continue to encourage me because he cared about me. He invested in me. And this is a picture of exactly what Christ has done for us. Sometimes we get into the law and we forget it's not about these rules. It's about a relationship with Christ. Christ came down to earth. He showed us and demonstrated what it was like to be human. He did this so that we could follow his way and be in fellowship with him daily every day within the Spirit. Even when He left, He leaves His Holy Spirit. He places the Spirit of God in our hearts to continue to guide us. And I say all that to say this. Christ is not sitting there punishing you every time you do something wrong. He's there gently trying to encourage you to do the things because He died for you. He loves you. Christ is your greatest ally, not your strongest opponent. And other people are not your competition. So Christ is your greatest ally. It's him that you, you want to be in relationship. It's him that's like a coach. It's him that wants to encourage you. And that's why I love when it comes to verses like this in James. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has what? Promised to those who love him. He says, look, you, you want to make it to heaven? You want to make it to where I'm at, where we can be in perfect union forever? Love me. Be in relationship with me. Hang out with me. I promise you, if you do that, you will be in heaven with me forever. I promise you this. And sometimes it's easy to get through life and forget these promises that God is rooting for us to get closer to him. He's rooting for us to grow this fruit. He's rooting for us to do these things. And it's easy to give up, but don't give up because your advocate is there for you. The almighty God is living in your heart to encourage you to keep going. So don't give up. Because it's really easy to give up. Because once you start trying to be patient and you see how God wants us to be patient, you realize some frustrating things. Patience is best demonstrated with those that deserve it the least and in the most inconvenient times. It's really easy to like love people who love you or be patient with a little kid that's your kid. It's hard to be patient with someone else's kid sometimes. But it's really easy to do that because that's kind of what the world expects, right? The world expects you to care for the people that you care for. But God kind of raises the ante and says, you know what? It's best demonstrated, your patience with other person is best demonstrated when people who deserve it the least. And it's best demonstrated with, the, with some kind of suffering or sacrifice involved in my part. Why is that? Well, because Christ did that on earth. And when we sacrifice, it does weird things to people. It changes them. 
It changes their life. What, what is, when you yell and scream at someone and you're mad and they, get interact, and they interact with you and, and, and you get back at them, what has anyone learned? But if all of a sudden you decide, like, someone hates you and they're screaming at you like they did Christ and you love them anyway, you're literally reflecting the heart of Christ at that moment. And they see something different that they don't see in the normal interactions in the world. You're either in a flesh or you're making some laws to govern your life. And then all of a sudden they see you're connected to some other source that allows you to love even people who don't like you. That's weird. Why do you people do that? That's attractive. That's interesting. Because it says right here, that the Lord is a servant if it, it, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. And this isn't the kind of teaching that's just like, oh, I tell you about Jesus and now you know. It's about demonstrating what you've learned from God to other people and patiently enduring what? Enduring evil? What do you mean evil? I don't want to endure evil. Why do I have to endure evil? What does that do? And the only thing I can think of is this story that comes to mind. I remember Blockbuster Video on Lincoln Avenue. Who remembers that back when they actually had videos that just pop into your, into your TV and then there they are. <laughs> but I worked there for years, man, partly because of the free movies. They gave you like five free movies a week, and so I just kept working there, even when I was in college as a part-time. But one time I was there, you just have all these customer problems, because people just mad. We had what we called Dropbox groupies, people that would just hang out, anything new with a red box they wanted. They would just stay there for hours. But for some reason, this guy came in, and he was in a really bad mood. And so he starts yelling at me, and I, for some reason, it wasn't more than just a bad mood. This, today, he decided to vocalize something I didn't think I would normally hear, and, and I don't normally hear here, but he, he decided to say why he hated Mexicans, and I was happened to be the one that was checking him out. He sits there and goes, I don't know why you guys come here to steal our jobs and take things from us. I don't understand that. I understand why you're always here, and you're not even being a part of this country, and I'm just sitting there going, okay, uh, would you like a movie, or did like to check out? He's like, I don't understand this, you know, and he's mad, and he's angry, and he's screaming all these things at me, and I said, look, Sir, can I help you? And he says, uh, yeah, I need a membership. I said, okay. So I moved him over to the other section, and we started talking. And he's still yelling and screaming. And I said, sir, are you okay? And he just kind of stopped and caught himself. And all these people are staring. And some of them are just kind of avoiding the situation. And other people are like, I don't know what's going on. And other people are mad. They want to fight for me or whatever. Uh, I had every right in that moment to say something like, hey, you racist guy. What the heck, man? I have every right to say that. I have every right to do that. But would I be right in doing that? Did that bring anything to the situation? The only thing that seemed to calm that man down, to have a reasonable conversation with him, is just to ask him, are you okay? And that's really the difference between trying to get what I want out of the situation. My desire is to beat up people who don't like people like me. It's a natural desire a lot of people have. But you could put that down. Is that what God desires for this guy's life? And now that changes the climate. Instead of just being hating and hating and then hating more and then I hate you more than you hate me and you hate me more than I hate, why don't we try something different? Why don't we try doing what Christ would do and even love our enemies? Because that's the only way we're going to get to a point where we're bringing about some kind of change in a person's life. You think this change is weird, but it's the change that changed Paul the Apostle's life. Paul was a guy, and you can see in verse Timothy, he's a blasphemer, he's hating people, he's dragging people into the streets, he's breaking up Christian homes. He is an enemy of God, and he's defiant about God, and he doesn't like Christians, and he's hunting them down. 
And he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, foremost sinner, Jesus Christ displayed his what? Perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God was incredibly patient with a guy he had no right to be with. God, this guy was attacking God's people. He could have struck him down on the spot instead of just striking him down. But instead, he strikes him down and sends him to someone to take care of him. He raises up another guy to take care of his needs. Why does he do that? Because he is a patient God, and he wants us to be patient. And sometimes that makes me wonder, all these angry people that I respond to online or on Twitter and all these things that I'm interacting with people on Facebook and all this stuff, or just in my daily life and the people I compete with ideas, or at any point when they're mad and they're angry and they're most hostile to me, how many of them are potential Pauls? How many of the people that are where we get mad at could be one of the best faith-driven people that says, you don't know what I used to be like until this person showed me the love of Christ when I didn't deserve it at all? How many people, when we are at the store and we just smile and we don't know what that smile does to a person, it opens up a conversation that changes their life? It's so easy to fight back, to want to defend things, even when they're right. But sometimes Christ is saying, in this moment, stick with me because I might be doing something different than you want to do. I might be trying to change lives in a different way. I might want you to take a few hits so that that people see, just like they did with Christ, what it means to be loved. And for a moment, they see that aspect of the character of God, an aspect of what it might be like to be loved by a creator that created you and loves you and wants to be in fellowship with you. Because that is really Christ's deepest attributes. Like that's stuck there, but so just think about that as we go through a life, right? Think about that, and it might change the way the dialogue works. Instead of trying to avoid people who cause conflict, who avoid people who try to get into your situation, and, and instead of fighting with people, maybe we should change the climate to actually trying to fight for people on behalf of God. Even when they're angry at it, it's like, look, I'm going to care about you even more than you care about me at this moment because that's what Christ did for me. Instead of seeing everybody as an angry opponent, we see them as a potential someone that God wants to reconcile with. And I really feel like that's what we were called to do. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19, it says, All this is from God, through who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He jumped down to trespasses. He did not count their trespasses against them, but entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Christ could have, at any moment, started punishing people right after they sinned. Bam, they're just dead. They're dead. But instead, when he left the earth, he left his church, us here as followers, to do what? To be the message of reconciliation to the world. That's our job as a church, is to reconcile the world to Christ. You think, well, how am I reconciling the world to Christ just by being nicer to someone? Because it's Every time Christians, if we all decided to get up and just go over to the supermarket and be nice to everybody for five minutes, what would that do to the climate at State of Brothers? In that climate, would it be more easy to talk about Christ or less easy to talk about Christ? If we were patient with each other and we demonstrated these things that we believe, is it easier for people to see Christ? See, Christians have the potential because they're connected to the Spirit to change culture, to change life, to change the internet, to change anything simply by acting on the thing that we have, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so the real easy first step, and it's like, you're going to leave here now, and you're like, oh, how do I do this? What do I start? And it's really to start and ask this simple, easy first step question. Who is the ruler of your life right now? Right now when you leave here, right now when you're at the store, right now wherever you're at, keep talking to God and ask and have him ask, who's the ruler of this situation right now? Am I the ruler or are you the ruler, God? Do you want me to do something here, God? Should I talk to this person? Is this person here need a smile? Does this person need some kind of kindness? Does this person need some kind of patience? Where, God, would you have me be since I'm here now, Lord? Open my eyes to see what's going on around me so that I can bring some of that into other people's lives. And when we do that, I think it really changes things. And so the next part is really to talk about gentleness. How does gentleness fit into this? Well, gentleness and patience have a lot of the same enemies, really. Gentleness and patience is kind of one of those things where you see them glumped together in the Bible. So what's the difference? So is it the same thing? Well, no. Well, patience is more something internally, but gentleness is something that we do kind of with our disposition and our actions. So how does that look? Well, gentleness to me is kind of like a surgeon, right? You train for years just kind of cutting on people, learning to open them up, breaking them, trying to figure out what's on in their organs, giving them chemi- learning chemistry, learning physiology, just to try and cut on people. Now, if you didn't know that, you would think that person was a sociopath. Learning to cut people, why would they do that? What's the difference between a sociopath who really likes hurting people and a surgeon? One limits their power and their ability and the things that they've been given and taught and the things that they know to bring about a good into someone's life so that they grow. And the other one just does whatever they want and harms people and responds the way they want to respond to people. And so very much like that is the Christian faith. Christ has given us truth. He's given us love. He's given us these powers, these things that we know, knowledge and information, so that we can actually limit our ability to the point at which it brings about a good into someone's life. And so that's what it is. And he's like, well, how does power play into this then? I don't don't really have power. Really? I think every one of us, if we sat down and did an inventory, would know if we had power or not. And so what does the world kind of value as powerful? Well, the world kind of values power as mighty. Some people go around, they go like, well, what I want to be is a brave, strong guy. I want to be a mighty warrior. And so Proverbs says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. So we might think, well, to be brave and strong and do all these things and conquer other people and just be harsh, that's really what it means to be strong, and so that's my strength. And God is saying, no, no, it's actually to control your spirit, which seems almost counterintuitive. You see, a guy who goes around trying to be tough and macho and strong and mighty all the time doesn't have the propensity to change when God needs him to change. And you see this sometimes when I used to see people in the military. A guy can mow down an army of people, very valorous, very brave, can protect people. But if his daughter comes in and wants him to have a kind moment, he's like, I, I, can't, I can't shed a tear or be kind because i got to be brave and strong. And that's like, he can't limit his power to step down and love someone small. And it's a struggle for him because we all struggle with different things. And to be honest with you, sometimes it's easier to, to hurt other people than it is to love them. And so sometimes you got to keep that in mind. So power is not always the thing. Limiting our power to love someone is often a better choice. Beauty. We don't think of beauty as a power, we, but it is. The Bible says that here in this last passage, but let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is a very precious thing. See, power... Beauty is really about internal because, yes, God's given you the gift of being beauty. Maybe you find, someone finds you attractive. How much power and control do you have over their life? 
How is it that when you say, when, when someone's attractive, they come to you like, do you take advantage of them? Do you, we live in a world that says, you know what, if you're a beautiful person, just be your most beautiful self in front of everybody. Don't worry about anything. No one should ever say anything to you about the way you look or the way you dress or anything because you have a right to just be beautiful. And that may be true that you have that right, but sometimes limiting that because you care enough about people. Yes, you are strong and powerful and, and people are attracted to you, but you choose to limit that to love them, to bring about a greater good, to show people a quiet spirit. And that's powerful. It's powerfully influenced. We choose that when we're Christians. The other one would be intelligence. It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let the rich, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let them boast, if they want to boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So you want to divide how smart you are? You want to be how powerful you are? You want to say how beautiful you are or whatever your power is. But if you want to really please me, you'll show off the attributes that I have. This is what I delight in. I like steadfast love. I like patience. I like gentleness. I'm a gentle God. I'm a kind God. You want to make me proud? That's what I like. I don't need you to be brave. I don't need you to be rich. I don't need you to be strong. I need you to be loving, kind, just. And so that's really kind of my concern for today as we go through life and we actually kind of interact with people. Are we limiting the things that we have? And I think sometimes just sitting down, I think there's a thing on your, chat, this on your, on your program that just says, like, write down the powers that you have. And that may sound weird, right? Why don't you write down powers? But, like, ask yourself, what gifts do I have? What talents do I have? Who are the people that listen to me? What are the things that I do that I could use in my life to minister to those around? Am I using those in a way that honors God? Am I wielding my power to honor God or am I rec and reconciling people right now, or am I using my own power? So simply ask yourself this question as you get into a situation where, is this a moment to be gentle? Ask yourself, can, am I, I have the ability to be gentle, why don't I do that? Because in that, I think people start to see what God's really all about. And lastly, I just want to say, like, as we go through these batteries of tests and we, and we go through these things and we kind of think through these things, it is real easy to kind of leave Christ behind. I find with me that the most difficult things is when you do bring that level up in your life and you start getting stressed out and you start withdrawing and you start losing hope in certain things. It's that point I need to run to God. It's at that point I need to remember that this isn't a relationship about God. And it's when I do that that Christ starts to say, come to me. You get through life and life gets tough and life gets hard. Don't quit. Come to me. All you who labor are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Learn, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and it's hard to miss those words. It's easy to miss those words, but it's to hear that God is gently waiting for you to participate in a relationship with him because he loves you. He doesn't have to. He wants to. He doesn't have to grow fruit in you. He wants to grow fruit in you. He wants to show you off. He wants to show your time with him, how it affects other people's life. He wants to use your talents, your strengths, your abilities to change culture, to change Corona, to change the lives of the people around you. And we have that power and that potential. But the only thing that we have to remember to do is to have that relationship with God. So if it's becoming weary for you and it's becoming tired or you're having a difficult time finding joy, don't give up, don't quit. 
because the Lord is right there ready and waiting for you to come to him. So would you guys bow your heads with me? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're really struggling with patience and gentleness. Maybe that's the thing you struggle with. Maybe you're trying to figure out, like, how do I add this to my life? So I want to give you this opportunity. I'd like to pray for you right now. If, if that's what you're struggling with, you're struggling with patience, and you're struggling with being gentle with other people, just raise your hand right now with every eye closed. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for these people. They're bold enough to want to raise their hands, Lord God. They want to change, Lord God. I pray that there's a different way they look at life when they live here, Lord. That they leave here with you. That they leave here knowing that they can spend time with you. That you'll converse with them in your word and they understand your ways. You can open up their eyes in the spirit to see how that applies to the people around them, God. Encourage them, Lord, to see, not just rejoice in, in, rejoice in the things that they do and they accomplish, but rejoice when they see things that in progress and fruit in their life. Instead of looking at it as a negative thing, Lord, when they, when they accomplish you and they make you laugh and they make you smile, God, for pleasing other people and loving other people, Lord, that, that you delight in that, that we take a moment and celebrate that, Lord. So I pray you be with us, Lord, as we become a patient and gentle people to Corona, that we are able to show other people who we are connected to and they see a glimpse of heaven by the way we care about other people, Lord. We thank you for these people. We bless them, God. Be with them and go with them. In Jesus' name, amen.